welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 71 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. This is a bonus episode related to COVID-19 related stress and how to manage them in your life. These aren't specifically related to weight, although I think all of these topics related to COVID-19 that we're talking about all can impact your weight and your eating if you are prone to things like emotional eating and stress eating. So I think they're all applicable. But these topics, I feel, are far more widely applicable at this time where all physicians are probably dealing with some form of these stresses in their life. And so talking about it and giving tools, I think, is super important, which is why I'm doing these bonus episodes. Today's episode is with Dr. Devin Gimble and Dr. Melissa Kwok. Both are physicians in the Chicago area, and both are certified life coaches. And so they're joining me today to talk about catastrophizing and how to manage the stress that catastrophizing can cause during COVID-19. If you're listening to this podcast and you do struggle with emotional or binge eating and you're finding that these behaviors are getting out of control with the extra stresses around COVID-19, then I really encourage you to take the time to download my free uh, course called Time-Saving Tips to End Binge and Stress Eating. Uh, It's a course where you get video content as well as a bonus workbook to help you work through putting some tools in place in your life that do not require extra time or changing your schedule in order to fit it in. I know you're all busy, and so these are my best tools that you can just quickly put into your schedule, into your life, and start to see results in your stress and binge eating. If you want to download this, head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash tips, all one word, or if it's easier for you, you can text the word tips to 1-855-969-5300 and then you'll get the course delivered to your email inbox. Let me know how it goes. I'm always interested to hear uh, how it's working for you and how you're applying these tips to your life. So make sure you send me an email and let me know how it goes. And now let's get to the interview talking about our best tips and thoughts around catastrophizing during COVID-19. All right, welcome to the show, Devin and Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me. How about we go through and have each of you introduce yourself, just so everybody knows who you are, but also can kind of recognize your voice as we chat. And today we are talking about catastrophization uh, in light of the COVID era and how to manage that if, if people are struggling with the feeling that everything is going wrong and and horrible things are going to happen. Devin, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'd love to. So my name is Devin Gimbel and I am a pathologist. I'm actually subspecialty boarded in dermatopathology. So I specialize in the diagnosis of skin diseases and I've been out of training and practicing in the Chicago area for about eight years now. In addition to that, I'm also a certified physician life coach and I work 
one-on-one specifically with women physicians who are mostly early career around issues of sort of early career malaise and just figuring out after all the years of training and sacrifice, why they sometimes open their eyes at the end of all of that and wonder why things are not as great as we were all told they were going to be when training is over and really helping them to make sense of that and create a life that's much more satisfying and fulfilling for them. Thank you, and Melissa? Hi, yeah, I'm Melissa Kwok and I'm a family physician. I work a pretty traditional outpatient, uh, full-time family physician job. Well, it was a traditional outpatient job until recently very non-traditional now. Uh, I've been out of training for about 12 years um, in the Chicagoland area. And I have recently been life coach certified as well and had very much looked forward to creating a burnout program. But that is actually still in the works, but I'm uh, looking into some other um, avenues right now as well in light of this uh, change in our lives with, with COVID. Excellent. So we're talking about catastrophization. So let's start with why is it a problem? Because I think some people whose minds do this don't kind of recognize that it's an issue. Like it, it feels like it's just the fact and the way it should be. So let's start there. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I would say first, just to sort of define what it is. I mean, this is what I see a lot of people dealing with. And I know Uh, my brain is particularly good at doing this as well when I don't have a great handle on it. And um, catastrophizing is really the habit of imagining all of the possible future worst case scenarios or bad outcomes. And I think this is the key, really emotionally experiencing them in the present moment as if they were real. And so I think human brains have done this all the time, but I think this is what so many of us are experiencing sort of on overdrive right now with COVID where you know, because there is a lot of uncertainty and things seem so real in terms of the threat that a lot of people are catastrophizing and what it looks to them like in their lives is imagining what that worst case scenario is really like and experiencing intense anxiety and fear and overwhelm because of that. And so for some people it takes the shape, especially for healthcare providers of thinking about, you know, what's the ultimate outcome for our healthcare system, right? What if our healthcare units get overwhelmed, you know, our physicians, our nurses, our frontline health workers all get sick or all get infected with this as well. What if we don't have the appropriate, you know, PPE or ventilators and machines to take care of our patients? Um, And really how much emotional um, angst that that creates for us. So that's kind of how I think it's happening for a lot of healthcare workers. But even beyond that, of course, people have other worries as well. What about economic collapse? What about their personal families, right? Getting really ill. What about themselves getting ill? Um, And even to the extent of, you know, healthcare workers wondering, what does that mean for their immediate families if they are to get infected and ultimately pass away, right? And I think what that does is create for us, again, an emotional experience now of such intensity, sort of worrying about all of these possible worst case scenarios that could actually happen because of this COVID pandemic that we're all facing right now. And I think the element of the fact none of us have experienced this yet leads to even more of that. Like, I think, you know, it, COVID is scary, obviously, but we deal with scary stuff in our day-to-day life, but this we've never experienced. And that gets our brains into that overdrive state and that imagination. How are you seeing it, Melissa? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I like that definition and I agree. It's, I think a lot of those are the catastrophizing thoughts that we're seeing, what Devin said. 
Um, and I think it's a problem. I think catastrophizing is a, is a problem only in that it's just not very useful. It, it, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like the, the quote about worry I've heard before that worrying pretends to be useful or worrying pretends to, or masquerades as being helpful. And catastrophizing, I would say is a subset or a type of worrying and it's just not productive and it's not useful. It doesn't help us in our, in our lives. It feels helpful in the moment. And it, and it feels factual in the moment too, right? And I think this is the key when we're talking about catastrophizing is that when your brain is telling you that story, your brain is telling you the story like that is the fact. And the reality is that is one possibility of what may happen in the future, but it's a story because anything we think about in the future is by definition a story our brain's telling us because we don't know and we can't predict. But our brains are choosing in this setting the worst case, most distressful version to tell us and spends a lot of time telling us that, right? Like when you're catastrophizing, it's like over and over and all day long telling you this worst case scenario. Right. And I like how you said that it's more common now, probably because this is the first time we're going through this. And that hit home to me even stronger earlier this week, I met with my small group and by small group, I mean, um, I, when I life coach certified, we're in a group of gosh, eight or nine of us. And we meet about twice a month now. And one of the girls in my small group lives in Taiwan and she's just fascinated watching all of us and our experience to this, because this is not new for her, for them in their country. She recalls at least one time in her lifetime, having a similar, um, epidemic experience in their in their country. And so she just felt for us and empathized that I, I get it, I remember, but they're not catastrophizing anymore. Now, granted, I'm speaking for their whole country and I don't mean to do that, but that was her general um, uh, message to us was we're, we're not catastrophizing anymore. This is, this is just the way it is, we're used to it. So anyway, all that to say the first time, of course, would bring this out more. Absolutely. And I, one thought that I've found helpful for myself is recognizing we as humanity have been through really horrible stuff. And it doesn't mean it was right or anything like that, but we as humanity do survive and we adapt and we change and we learn from what happens. Like when you think of the world wars and all, all the things that have happened. And so this is kind of the first really big thing that's having very widespread impact on us in most of our lifetime, but, but that's not true of other generations, right? Like other generations have been faced with significant changes to their freedom, significant changes to availability of products and food and to a far greater degree than what we are. And, and they survived and they got through it. And I find for me, that's a helpful thought. Yeah. And I think that touches on some of the antidotes, if you will, to catastrophizing is finding what else is true for you right now. Mm -hmm. Some of our catastrophizing thoughts, they, they might be true, but what else is true? And, I, and I'm right there with you. Those types of thoughts have helped me to get out of catastrophizing, reminding myself that this is um, almost expected, if you will, to have um, a, a pandemic or something, something big in your lifetime to go through like this. It's, I don't know if expected is the right word, but not surprising, given the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh, sorry, Devin, you were going to say something? 
Yeah, I was just going to dovetail on that. I think that's such a great point, Melissa, you know, to, to talk about sort of, okay, what are sort of the antidotes to catastrophizing, right? Once we identify that this is what's going on in our brain, I think what happens so much in a lot of our just interpersonal, you know, interactions, because we want so much as human beings to sort of comfort, you know, and help human beings around us that I, what I see happening most often is that when you have this situation where you're catastrophizing and you're expressing it to someone else, I think the natural human reaction is to actually reassure in that setting, right? And say, you know, no, it'll be okay. And, you know, we're all going to come out the other end of this and, and everything will be fine. Like, you know, really kind of saying the thing that you're most worried about is unlikely to happen. And I actually find that reassurance, even though of course it's well-intended and well-meaning, actually doesn't really help a person who's actively in that thought loop, you know, of catastrophizing because your brain still believes that something terrible is sort of looming in the horizon. So just telling yourself, don't worry about it, it probably won't happen, actually doesn't alleviate all of those fears or those concerns at all. And, and something that I was introduced to that I think has really helped me in my tendency to catastrophize that I like to share with other people now in the work that I do is that you actually flip it totally upside down and really take it to the worst case scenario, which sounds illogical and very, very scary. But what you'll see is that if you allow someone to truly play out that worst case scenario, what we'll find is that in many ways, we actually already know now how we could potentially manage it or handle it. And only by actually exploring it and really walking down that path of, okay, let's say, you know, I have worked recently with a lot of physicians who you know, our partners are owners of small private practices, which obviously have been, you know, greatly affected, you know, by having to, you know, either completely stop their elective procedures or, you know, really having to be mindful about which patients they see in their offices. And I think there's a lot of significant concern right now, but the impact right on the small physician owned practices about whether or not they're really going to continue to be able to work beyond this pandemic. And instead of just saying, no, 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 it'll be okay right? Like, which no one's going to believe anyway, you really allow them to walk through that whole scenario. It's like, okay, you know, what happens if you can't make payroll for three months or six months or what, what happens then? Right. And really allowing them to walk down that path and to figure out that, no, this is not what they want to have happen, but they could actually solve this problem, right? That there are solutions out there and that actually allowing the brain to kind of churn through that worst case scenario and talk about how someone would handle it or what it is they're actually afraid of actually allows your brain to calm down enough in the moment that you actually are able to start problem solving better. Because one of the hallmarks of catastrophizing is that when all we can see, right, are these potential terrible outcomes, it really locks us in a place of helplessness and powerlessness and being paralyzed, right, which is sort of the opposite of problem solving. And I have found that really allowing people to talk about what their worst case, worst case scenario looks like and then how they would handle it or what they think they could do in that situation really moves them out of that just total paralyzed state of powerlessness and into seeing, again, no, this is not exactly our ideal scenario. It's not wonderful, but this also is not actually going to be the complete, you know, absolute worst case scenario that they're also imagining. And I have found that to be so much more constructive for people in this type of headspace. I think that's a really good tip and it kind of lets your brain almost um, finish processing the catastrophizing, right? Like instead of just constantly being that churn of this might happen, this might happen, 
it's leading your brain through, okay, but if that happens, what would I do? What would my plan be? And anytime you have a, some form of plan, you always feel better, right? I think that's yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, you know, it really helps us just to see, right, how many more choices we actually have. Because what happens is that the brain tends to get fixated, right, on the, just these very sort of big ideas, like, oh my gosh, like my practice might shut down and we just dead end there, right? And circle around it, around and around and around. And like you said, actually being able to move into a little bit more of a problem solving space kind of gets us out of that cycle of just fixating on what we think the problem is and actually being able to broaden our perspective. And that in and of itself really empowers us again, just to get into a different emotional space as well, to move a little bit away from just complete overwhelming anxiety and a little bit more towards an ounce of security or an ounce of relief. And that's all we're really looking for right now. We're not looking to make things hundred percent better, but how do we get to just a little bit better, right? Than our current headspace. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's almost like, oops. go ahead, Melissa. It's almost like closing, closing the loop on, or closing some loops of uncertainty, our brains and us, I guess, kind of tend to hate that uncertain feeling and to close any loops of that that we can, I think can be very, very helpful in these situations and, and going to those worst case and actually answering those, like Devin said, I think can be so helpful for doing that. Mm -hmm. and it, it, you know, this topic reminds me of, um, I have a daughter that has some anxiety. So we were at the counselors a little bit ago and she was saying how when you're anxious and when you're wound up, your focus, because you're in survival mode, becomes just really hyper-focused uh, on that thing that's a threat, basically. And you're unable to see the other possibilities. You, you lose the ability to see what else might be your choices. And so when you do things like this, like you said, Devin, if you just do something that gives you just a small amount of reprieve, it opens up your ability to kind of see the other options and see your other choices, see other potential paths in a better way. So then you don't feel quite so trapped. Like when you're in that hyper-focused, hyper-anxious, you can feel so very trapped because that's all your brain can see when it's in that state. Totally. And could I, on, on that, could I give one other uh, tip that helps me for when I'm in that locked in, I call it my, my locked in zone is just getting back to writing down the facts without any story, interpretation, nothing, just the facts of what's going on. And then purposely asking yourself uh, more empowering questions to help conjure up other thoughts that are true for you with the, with those facts, such so, as, you know, yeah. you could write the facts and ask what's, what's the most empowering way I could think about this. What's the most useful way I could think about this. What's the kindest way. And it just triggers thoughts in me that I, never would have seen with my locked in blinders on before. That's nice. I like the, what's the kindest way I can think about this? Cause I think that's like when you're anxious, it's really hard to be kind to yourself. Yeah, I like that. So, cause some people listening to this, the concept of fact versus story is a somewhat new concept. And so just to kind of give clarification, because it actually, it sounds simple, but it can be quite a skill to learn is deciphering what's truly fact and what's a thought or a story that your brain's generating. The thing I always say to people is a fact is like bare bones fact. There's no like positive or negative layers to it. 
and it could be arguable in a court of law, meaning every single person would agree to that fact. Uh, how do you guys approach that to help people understand what is fact and what is? Yeah, I, you know, because I also work, you know, predominantly with physicians and I think we all share a similar language. And when I'm trying to teach this, I tell people very much um, to think about that sort of dichotomy that we learn when we're in medical school about subjective versus objective, right? So when we think about seeing our patients, right? They all have an objective set of findings or data, right? Like they have a blood pressure. They give a day at a given time, they have a blood pressure. They have lab values that are a certain number, right? Those can be measurable. And even if a hundred different people were to pull that patient's chart, they would all agree, right? On what that patient's lab values were in that given day and that given time. So that's objective. That's how I think about the facts as well. Um, whenever I try to explain to people how to actually tease those apart. So it's something that exactly what you said, Siobhan, right? It's totally neutral. It's neither positive nor negative. It can be proven in a court of law. And that if a hundred people all had access to the same exact information, they would all completely agree on what that objective data is and everything else, right? Everything that our brain does to interpret the facts or to make meaning of the facts, all of that is thoughts. And so I think it's helpful to realize that in the objective versus subjective sort of dichotomy that however we interpret the facts, the neutral values ahead of us, all of that is our subjective thought process. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, an important point of this, the subjective thought stuff is that then those then become optional which is kind of the root of what we're talking about. So when we apply this to catastrophizing, there are facts, like we have a pandemic and you know the facts are the number of cases in, in your area or your country, uh, all those things are facts. Our thoughts about what that means and our thoughts about how we predict that is potentially or is optional but they sometimes can feel very factual and this is where it gets tricky, right? Like. It, it, a thoughts about the fact that there's not enough PPE is a thought, even though it can feel very factual, but that thought then can carry you down that path of catastrophizing. It totally can. And in my opinion, this is then where we get into being present with and acknowledging our feelings. Because maybe there are some thoughts that we do believe strongly or don't want to let go of and that could be different for different people but but it might be a thought that is is conjuring up a feeling that's that's really unpleasant and that's where getting into that feeling and and acknowledging it and allowing it without responding to it by further catastrophizing i think can be very helpful because i like to think of catastrophizing as as an action and feelings are what drive our actions but if we can halt that process between a feeling that normally would drive catastrophizing if we can halt that and recognize that feeling without giving into the urge to catastrophize then um, i think that can be helpful too absolutely and i think um this has come up in these other bonus episodes that I've recorded, but, you know, in this current set of facts that we have as being humans in this experience, it is normal that we will have things like anxiety, fear, stress, uh, doubt, all those sorts of things are going to be totally normal parts of this process. And I like what you're saying, Melissa, in that 
acknowledging that that's normal and just sitting with it and not feeling that you then have to respond like to that fear and think of more things that will generate more fear helps keep it more contained instead of what we have a tendency to do is we experience the anxiety would be a good one. And then it gets our brain, that anxious part of our brain going with more anxious thoughts, more worry, and we build on that anxiety. So that's when it starts to feel out of control versus if we can just sit with it when it first shows up and go, I'm feeling really anxious today. And that's probably normal because of what's happening. And I'm just going to, it's going to be an anxious day or it's going to be an anxious moment because uh, it won't always last the whole day it's far much of a, or it's a far smaller experience when you can just be with it when it happens rather than once it's snowballed. Right. And I, and I like using a technique I heard from someone else where you tell yourself, maybe now's the time to, and then you fill in the blank with whatever that is and then add, and that's okay. So maybe now is the time for me to feel a little scared and that's okay. Or maybe now's the time for me to feel a little uncertain and that's okay. For me, that can help break the cycle of catastrophizing when I'm feeling those feelings. Yeah, you know, I, I love that, Melissa. And I have sort of a similar um, type of practice that I have. And for me, what has helped is to take the form of, of an idea of like, of course, like, of course, right? If I believe that the entire economy is going to collapse because of this, right? And every single human being on earth is going to lose all of their financial well-being. Like, of course, I'm going to be incredibly, you know, anxious um, and stressed out about this. And it helps to remind me, right, that yes, my emotions, right, are caused by my thoughts, but that of course it makes sense, right? Of course, my intense emotions are going to be there, right? When I'm able to acknowledge sort of the enormity of what my thoughts are, right? And you had mentioned this, which I think is also such an insightful thing is so much of catastrophizing, I think is very future-based, right? Even though of course the pandemic that we're dealing with is very current and relevant. When we catastrophize, it tends to be this amplification of a future fear, right? Like everything that might happen a week from now or six months from now or a year from now because of the current circumstances. And so using that sort of, of course, thinking helps me really Kind of understand right why my emotions are so intense because this is what i'm worried about all these future events happening and as you had mentioned before sort of in that context what can be so helpful is to acknowledge how much of that emotional experience is tied to this anticipation of future events and to remind ourselves we don't actually know with 100 certainty how this is all going to play out but we do know what's happening right now and what's happening for us today are people today ill and some people passing away from this? Yes. But is everybody that we know actively passing away in this moment? No. Right. And that's, I think where our brains go is that ultimate worst case scenario. And has the economy shown some effects from this going on? Yes. Is the entire world economy collapsing around us in this very moment? No. And it can be really helpful, I think, to really draw our attention back to what do I know is true, like right in this moment, right? Because it again gets our brains out of that future anticipatory state and really acknowledging again where we are right now is not by any means perfect right but where we are right now is probably not quite as terrifying as what our brain is telling us might happen six weeks six months down the line and that can be helpful again just to bring ourselves kind of back to that space of present awareness 
Um, and yeah, to really just sit with and acknowledge those emotions that we are experiencing in this moment and knowing, of course, that's going to happen. This is part of the human experience, right? Absolutely. And um, I, sorry, I, just listening to that, like it brings back the concept of mindfulness, right? In that what we do and it, if we're able to be present with what is actually happening in general, there's very good evidence that that's coming for a lot of different things. So even when what's happening is not necessarily what you would want to have happen, being present with it uh, can be very helpful. And I think it shows the interesting pattern of our brains is no matter what's happening now, it always feels more manageable than what could happen in the future. Cause that's the imagination part of our brain. So you know, even for people who have gone through really tough stuff and really hard things, in the moment when the bad stuff was happening, it, you you still got through it and you still managed it step by step versus if you were standing before that bad stuff happening and predicting what it would be like to go through it, your brain would give you a very, you know, an even worse version of the story. Yeah. And I love that everything you guys have said and, and some of the tips we're giving, it's it's not to try to delude ourselves that what we're thinking about things maybe not being great or, or possibly being bad. We're not trying to delude ourselves that it's not true, but we're just trying to shift our brain to focus on other things that are also true, that are, that are just more helpful to be thinking about. It's more, more useful, more productive, more, it'll just serve us better as we, as we fumble through this new time in our lives. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, and it reminds me again, talking about questions that we like to ask ourselves that we think have been either constructive or productive. One of my favorite questions is just asking in a given moment, you know, how is a current thought useful for me? What is the upside of this thought? Right? Because I think when we are talking about catastrophizing and imagining all of these worst case scenarios, I think what our brains tend to tell us is that it's useful to do that so that we can somehow prepare ourselves right? Either mentally or emotionally, or go out and actually do something action-wise that will prepare us to be, to better handle, you know, that worst case scenario, should it happen? And I think it's so useful to then really check in with ourselves and say, okay, but really what is so useful about this? Because again, when we catastrophize, we tend to really paralyze ourselves into a state of helplessness or fear, powerlessness. And so by, you know, checking in with ourselves and saying, okay, what is the upside of thinking about this, right? And your brain may offer you something like, oh, well, this is so you can be prepared. And then you get to look around and say, what am I truly doing in this moment, right? To prepare for any of these things. And oftentimes we aren't doing anything, but it can be a clue, right? That that is really what we're seeking. Like if we are seeking preparation, it allows us to say, okay, well, what in this moment could I do that would be more useful, right? Would be more helpful, based on whatever it is that I'm afraid is going to happen. And that can all oftentimes for us illuminate, right? Sort of a path that we can take that can be somewhat more useful, somewhat more constructive than just spinning in that terrible worst case scenario, you know, thought loop rumination that, that so many of us get into. Um, and so I think that asking ourselves questions like what's the upside of this thought can really help show us what do we think this is supposed to be doing for us? And is it actually doing that thing? And if it's not, that's fine, but how can we better accomplish, right? That ultimate outcome or that ultimate goal in this moment? I think that's a really good point. And I think that's kind of where your tool of going through the worst case scenario 
uh, ends up being helpful, right? Because if that worst case scenario is meant to accomplish something, it's probably some form of preparation or like having a plan in place. And so when you force yourself to actually walk further through that worst case scenario, it's probably helping you accomplish that kind of deeper goal of the, the initial catastrophizing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it reminds us, right, that while we don't have control over the circumstances in our lives around us or the events, right, that are going on around us, we have significantly more control than we give our credit, ourselves credit for sometimes, right, that we can control the things that we choose to do, right, whether that is something preparation-wise, conversations we want to have, um, actions we want to take, but we also have so much more control over just our own experience of a situation, right, and even just seeing how these shifts in our thinking by asking ourselves different questions and focusing on different areas, we have control over whether or not we stay in a really helpless or powerless state, or if we really enable ourselves, right, to start problem solving and move again, not towards perfection and happiness. I don't think anyone is looking for happiness and joy, right, in the current situation. But I think what some of us are looking for is just a little bit more security, right, a little bit more confidence. Um, than what we're currently feeling. And I think that that can be really the powerful, such so the powerful result of asking these types of questions of ourselves and really walking ourselves through these exercises and saying, where does our control lie? Because so much of our fear about these worst case scenarios is that they're totally out of our control and that there's nothing that we can do about them. And showing ourselves the things, even on a very, very small scale, the things that we can do ourselves right now in this moment or that we can think and focus on and concentrating on right now in this moment can be really the catalyst, right? To help us again, move just towards a little bit more empowerment, a little bit more security. Another tool that uh, Brooke Castillo actually talked about on a recent podcast that I really liked is, so if we think of the catastrophizing as a story that our brain's telling us, like one possible version of what the future will look like, that's fine and that's normal and sometimes your brain's going to do that. But intentionally then also making your brain spend some time thinking about alternative possibilities of the future. So you kind of mentioned this, Devin, in that, you know, often for a lot of us, we're worrying that either we're going to get sick, family members are going to get sick, people around us are going to get sick. And that's kind of the, the worst case scenario is that everybody's going to get sick. But another potential option of what might happen is that, you know, maybe you get sick, but it, it's really mild for you. That's a very possible potential. Or maybe your family makes it through the COVID pandemic without getting sick. Again, also a possible option. And because all of these are really things in the future that we have no way of predicting which one is more likely to happen, they're all potentially true. And so making yourself purposely think, okay, I'm, I've spent time thinking worst case, now I'm going to spend some time thinking these, you know, these other opportunity or options about how things could turn out and make my brain spend some time imagining these uh, just to offset that constant thinking worst case scenario. Yeah, I think that's such an amazing point. You know, one of my favorite coaches said something similar, which was that, you know, if we're going to use our brains, right, and our imaginations to entertain all of these worst case scenario things, that we should give equal airtime, that we should give our brains and our imaginations equal time focusing on, like you said, the alternate scenarios, right? Not necessarily the best case scenarios, but that if you're going to use your imagination for bad, you should use your imagination for good as well and just see what other stories are out there. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, a really good point in that, like, imagination is so powerful, but really imagination is at the root of anxiety. Like, if we didn't have imagination, if we didn't have our ability to picture what could happen, we would all have less anxiety. We'd also, I think, do a far lot less in our lives. Like, it's a good thing, but using it for good and as well as the, you know, quote unquote bad, I think is a really important way to view it. What are your thoughts, Melissa? Yeah, I agree. And well, two thoughts on that. One is that takes me back to, I think I've heard in various self-help arenas that without our thoughts, we don't suffer. And again, that's not to say that we, well, we shouldn't be having certain thoughts or that thoughts are wrong, but just, just knowing that, just having, having an experience of that, that, oh, if I couldn't be having this thought right now, I wouldn't be suffering again, not to say we shouldn't have it, but there's, there's some empowerment just in, in recognizing that reality, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I think let's, um, let's kind of summarize because we've talked a lot about catastrophizing and we've talked about a few little tips through, uh, but let's summarize what those like. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I think I, am doing this, like I'm constantly thinking about all the bad stuff that's going to happen, what would be our best tips for them to start on their own to get a bit more of a handle? And like you said, Devin, not meaning that when you put these tips into action, you're not going to worry, because I think it is expected in this type of scenario that worry is normal. But using these tips so you get that, you know, small amount of relief that lets you get into a position where you feel more in control and where you feel that you can take action in a better way. And so I think like the tip we just talked about, the like imagining both cases. So if you recognize your brain is telling you a story with the worst case scenario and then purposely tell it, okay, now let's think of the alternative scenarios. And this, I would really suggest writing down because, and sometimes too, you might not be able to generate the alternative scenarios but if you think, you know, what would some other people think? Like if, if I'm stuck thinking that everybody that I know is going to get really sick, what are other people thinking? Because that sometimes is a way to generate alternative points of views and alternative predictions of the future that you might not have access to just when you're sitting there trying to do it all yourself. Still coming from you, which is an interesting thing. But, you know, it's using a different part of your brain. What would be your tip, Devin? Yeah, I think one of my tips among all the things that we've already brought up is to really direct your brain on what is true for you right now. I think that can be so, so, so helpful because many of us right now are sitting, you know, in a place where we are relatively physically safe, right? Like we haven't lost every ounce of our assets, you know, in the market or the things that have been happening with the economy um, that we may know some people who are sick, but we know a lot of people who are not sick or who are not critically ill, right, in this moment. And so really drawing your attention to what is actually true for me right now in this moment can help reinforce that, again, many of our fears are really so future-focused that they're not all completely relevant to our lives right in this moment. And being able to really draw your attention to that, I find can help take a little bit of the edge off of some of that overwhelming anxiety. And Siobhan, to um, tag on to what you were saying about asking what other people might be thinking to help give yourself a different story. I like to have fun with that and even think of 
like famous people that, you know, what would, what would Michelle Obama be thinking? What would Oprah be thinking? What would Bill Gates be thinking? Or it can be anyone. Um, and just to have a little fun with that, if you can, just, just to open your mind up to all the other possible stories and, and ways of looking at what's going on right now. I like to ask my future self about that as well. Like what would my future self of a year from now or five years from now, what sort of advice might she have for me in this situation? I think that can help open up our minds too. And then we, we've talked about going to that worst case scenario, but to back it up even a little farther, I think sometimes our catastrophizing is actually asking ourselves questions and that the answer to that question is often the worst case scenario. But if you find yourself in questions like what if and what if and what if to actually answer that question and then you'll probably often get to an answer that might be your worst case scenario and then to go there as we talked about earlier um, in this session and then always always having compassion for yourself and your own life experience whatever it is right now but there's nothing wrong with you if you're catastrophizing or not and um there's no judgment to be had there at all and to come from that recognition of, wow, we are all going through something for the first time. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but this is the first time we're going through this. It's gonna feel wild and crazy and really uncomfortable at times and that that's normal and expected. But to also remember that first time experiences aren't first time experiences forever and that there is an end to that too. Um, and even to perhaps check in with your past, where else have you had a first time experience that was really uncomfortable or difficult or awkward? And how did you get through that? And what was that like? I think those are great tips. Um, now, can you guys let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, sure. So um, this is Devin and you guys can find me if you're interested. I have a website and it is at physicianlifecoaching.com. You can read all about me and the work that I do. And it also has very easy ways for you to get a hold of me if that's something that you're ever interested in doing. If you have questions to ask, um, that's the best place to find me. And you can find my website at physiciansinspired.com and email at coachwithmelissa at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with me today, guys, to uh, record this. I think these tips will be really helpful for a lot of people. And probably, you know, as we go through this path, there's going to be times that we catastrophize and there's times where we don't. And so it'll be like kind of a moving target for a lot of us, where it might be something that's worthwhile coming back to revisit uh, at different points in this journey as we go along. And I just encourage anybody listening, if you know somebody that would benefit from this, if you know a physician who's struggling and catastrophizing, please share this episode uh, because I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of us out there that could use a little bit of help in this. Thank you so much for having us on today. Yeah, thanks, Javon. All right. I think that was a great episode and packed with a lot of useful information. Uh, See what pieces of it that you could apply to your life. Remember, have compassion with yourself, regardless of what your personal experience and thoughts are in this situation. Compassion is the first step. And then decide which one of these tools you might want to apply and see if you can just get that little bit of relief that we were talking about.
Send any emails or thoughts to info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. Share this episode with anybody that you think would be uh, have benefit from it. So any other physicians that you know are stressed out uh, so that they can hopefully get that little bit of relief for themselves too. Have a fantastic week and stay safe. We'll talk to you later. Bye.